Welcome to Paving the Path. I'm your host, Shiva Mirosaini. People know me as a customer experience champion and a digital executive at Fortune 50 companies. I plan on paving the path in my show with women game changers, thought leaders, and executives touching the entire spectrum of digital transformation in healthcare. Join me in exploring the digital renaissance that's shaping healthcare today and forever, changing the future of wellness, care, and health. Welcome to another episode of Paving the Path. Today, my guest is Amy Haymans. She's one of the pioneers of human-centered design and the chief design officer at United Healthcare Group. Before joining United, she actually founded a global digital design and consultancy named MadPow back in 2002. She has devoted the mission of this organization to leverage human-centered design to improve the experiences of people with organizations, technology, and each other. What I love about Amy the most is her passion to dive deep into the psychology of motivation, designing programs that help people change their behavior and their lives. As we know, when it comes to healthcare, human psychology and human behavior drives the majority of the outcome. And so with that, I'm very excited to welcome Amy to this show. Amy, welcome. It's great to have you here with us. Thanks so much for having me, Shiva. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Amy, why don't you tell us kind of how you ended up in this particular role today and kind of what brought you to healthcare, human-centered design and customer centricity as we well know, applies to many industries, but especially in healthcare, it just takes a very unique shape. And you are one of the pioneers in this space and especially in healthcare. So how do you find yourself this moment right now? Yeah, thanks. It's a great question. I mean, growing up, I loved art. And in college, I decided to focus on design, which I quickly learned is about finding harmony in the chaos, finding new ways of looking at things and and bringing, painting the picture and bringing folks along to see new visions, new approaches. And when I joined the workforce, I was focused in web design, which I I quickly learned needed to be user-centered design, right? It wasn't about how something is branded or how beautiful it is, but really how useful, usable, and desirable it is for the people who are using it. And so I got into user-centered design doing research with the people who will be using the things that we're designing, the digital solutions and experiences we were creating, and then designing them and then checking back with them to make sure we've gotten it right. And and really, that was the application of human factors, ergonomics, and just the kind of the spirit of human centricity in, in kind of the early days of the web. You know, since then, I and my career in, in the industry as a whole have evolved to absolutely continue to improve digital experiences specifically, but also to look at more deeply the audiences served and develop a a cognitive empathy and emotional empathy and understanding for the people served so that we can look across their entire experience, omni-channel, across all channels, and figure out how do we help them get to what is most important to them. That really is service design, um, also experience innovation, experience strategy. Uh, and then we continued to evolve. Um, and this is sort of the arc of the narrative for the, the agency that I, I helped to, to build and MadPow. We then got into behavior change design. So that was 
leveraging behavior science, motivational psychology, and design to help change real world outcomes, right? So we started digital and then went into complete experience across channel and then went into interventions that change real world behavior. And then the next leap, as you mentioned, was into futures thinking and speculative foresight. And that's really, okay, what are the possible futures? What are the plausible futures? And what are the desired or preferable futures? And how do we engage people in thinking about the kind of future we want to manifest so that we can then backcast that future and figure out specifically how to get there? So sort of embracing, you know, throughout my career, creativity, innovation, and human centricity. And I will say that the focus on research and testing is super important and is such an important ingredient, but we also need to design with the audiences we serve as opposed to for them. And so now a huge advocate of participatory design as, as part of the process. But you asked about health. And so to point all of what I just said, human-centered design in the direction of outcomes improvement, health is a huge area where we need to not only improve the experience and reduce friction, frustration, and, and provide modern grade consumer experiences, but also to help people to improve their health, to heal, to be comforted, to have decreased anxiety, increased confidence. And so me personally, and, and many who have come along with me in this journey, see health as a way to turn our craft into a calling and in point this powerful methodology and tool set in the direction of impacting people's lives in really meaningful ways. Oh my God, Amy, it just, it's, it's like poetry what you say. It puts a smile on my face. And it's so true because and as we well know, it's well-established fact that only 20% of health outcome is actually driven by clinical and care delivery specifically, 30% of health outcome is driven by your you know, DNA and your genetics, which you don't really control. So that leaves 50% of the health outcome really driven by one's behavior and belief system. And so to the extent that you can use experience and behavioral change and behavior design and enable people to take charge of their own health path, that's very, very powerful. So that's a nice segue to my next question, which is essentially in your long and very deep and extensive experience, what does a good experience look like, especially in healthcare? Why does it matter? Who should own it? And how would it work? Yeah, it's, it's, that's the <laughs> million dollar question. So, you know, right now people are left in the center of a disconnected ecosystem, right? You have all of the various players that are operating in their kind of areas of the, the health ecosystem. And it's not all connected, right? So folks are trying to figure out, okay, what, what is going on with me? What do these symptoms mean? What are the potential treatments? And, you know, what is my doctor saying? Where do I get the best care? How much is this going to cost me? What can I do on my own? What drugs might I take to help with this? Um, or, you know, so they're trying to figure it all out and they're kind of bopping between providers, payers, pharmaceutical companies, digital health companies, community programs, government agencies, and, and they're just trying to figure it all out. And so the way that the, eco, the health ecosystem has grown was via specialism 
and the transfer of data, the transfer of money. But when you look at the mental model that real people have in their actual journey, there's a huge opportunity to try to stitch it together for them and anticipate what they might need now and what they might need next. And so I really think about, okay, how do we customize an experience knowing what we know about the person? How do we allow them to personalize that experience so that it's just right for them and they have autonomy and control? And then how do we contextualize the experience dependent upon where they're at in the process with everything that we know, right? So we see the power of digital and technology and AI and chatbots and all these things. How do we actually start to stitch things together and get really smart about pointing people in the right direction, giving them the right information at the right time, showing up for them in powerful ways during the moments that matter. Let the technology does what it does best so that humans can show up and give people what they might need as they're struggling emotionally or they have questions or they feel alone or they don't know what to do next. That's what us humans can do, can do the best, right? So there's a huge amount of work to be done, not just kind of, again, let it, not just improving experiences people have as they weave through the system, but also actually improving health outcomes, taking an evidence-based approach to design and looking at not just being easy to do business with, you know, within the, the machine and the industrial complex of healthcare, but also to be there on the human level and with a focus on health outcomes improvement, and not just the health outcomes we want, the way that people think about success and what they want in their own lives and partnering with them to help them achieve that because that will be most fruitful. There's a lot there. And just to unpack that and play it back, what resonated with me a lot is, you know, as the technology is moving fast, knowing that it doesn't replace anything, it's really augmenting and helping us improve and close the gaps And it gives us the opportunity to really get closer and helping move health outcomes, not just on behalf of a business that is, you know, very EBITDA and and profit driven, but also with the purpose of really improving lives and the data and that connectivity is, is the connecting tissue. You mentioned being a futurist, and I know you wear many hats and you have many passions. I'm assuming that you take inspiration from outside the, the healthcare industry. What do current signals tell you about the future of customer experience and experience design within the healthcare ecosystem? I struggle with the term futurist as it sounds really pretentious, but I, I just have a deep fascination about how do we improve things for the people we serve and how can we be conscious of the direction we want to head inspired by hope and possibility and also understanding the downstream impacts that we can have that may be negative that we may want to seek to avoid, right? So when you apply a lens of ethics and moral philosophy into the world of technology, specifically health technology, you look at, okay, Hippocratic Oath says we we should do no harm okay, so how are we doing harm in the services we provide and the technological solutions we put out there? Is harm being done? What harm might be done? You know, it's funny, people often say, you know, it's 
it's easy to imagine the apocalypse. We see a lot of movies around that. It's much harder to imagine a world where things are operating smoothly. But I think the the realm of human-centered design, systems thinking, public health, behavior science, motivational psychology, as all these fields and disciplines converge together, there is huge promise and hope that we can actually get some really important things right. As we look, though, at, at what's happening as technology continues to evolve and accelerate, specifically with you know chat, uh, GPT is in the news, and it's like, okay, what is that going to do? Technologies like that can, again, show up and help for that quick convenience and sort of getting everything all in the same place. But we shouldn't stop there and say, okay, because of chatbots, we can kind of just dispose of, you know, the hundreds of thousands or millions of employees that are there to answer questions in the health ecosystem today. So how might we reinvent what that workforce is focused on so that we can close care gaps, so that we can improve health outcomes, so that we can connect people to the things that they really need, right? So to explore, okay, artificial intelligence is going to help us be more productive and hopefully more effective, but then where we where can we leverage, leverage human intelligence in a way that is really helping to improve the human experience, improve the health experience, help us to live better across all of the, the aspects that we care about. So how we sleep, the relationships that we have, how we feel, how we treat one another, how we manage stress, how we navigate our lives and set goals and and track toward them, how we support one another, right? So I hope that as we leverage technology to do sort of like automated things, we can really climb in terms of value and aspiration in another direction and reapply that workforce. So like that's an example of where you can apply futures thinking. So the, the signal is, and it's not even like a far off signal, it's a very now <laughs> it's happening type of signal, but then you can transform it into, okay, where could we go based upon this? What that gets me thinking is when it comes to change management, when it comes to operationalizing all these changes into large healthcare systems or payers, providers, do you think we are going to see a world where, and we have seen this to some extent, but probably more so in the future where physicians, nurses, you know, everyone in the value stream have to somewhat become more technology oriented. And I'm not suggesting they should learn how to code or there's a lot of codeless amazing tools out there. But that marriage to some extent has to happen in order for this change management kind of come to fruition faster and more safely. I guess my question is, you know, how do you go about operationalizing all these changes in a way that is intrusive and creates resistance, but actually is enabling and inspirational and smooths the path for transformation? Yeah, I mean, you literally asked the best questions because that's exactly, you know, the, the crux of the matter, right? There are people who see the promise of this approach, who understand that, look, at these, these are for-profit companies. They're publicly traded. They need to hit their success measures. They need to, you know, hit profit targets. And so it can lead to a focus on what we can do in the short term, but simultaneously, if we place some bets that are focused on long-term outcomes, 
not just in the direction of competitive parity or keeping up with what's going on, but in the direction of meaningful innovation in partnership with the people we serve to sort of say, okay, how can we show up in five years and 10 years and 15 years? And then to see the impact of a different approach, right? To celebrate those wins and and then more people come along, you know, from there. So it, it's going to be very step-by-step. Step. I think organizations have woken up to the fact that we need to put the customer at the center. It's the only way we're going to achieve satisfaction, loyalty, evangelism, retention, and growth long-term. But how do we do that and not sort of just like a quick fix fashion, but in, in a way that we're designing for long-term longevity of the business? So I've been getting very meta and philosophical in my thinking lately where the solution isn't the solution. The process that we use to get to the solution is the solution, right? So it's not about the answer to the question. It's about commitment to the question. How do we apply rigor to constant and close innovation with the people we serve so that their success is our success directly? And once that becomes woven in the ethos, it goes beyond sort of the, the brand message and into how we do business, how we operate. And I think it's going to be a gradual evolution, but I think it's starting for sure. Amy, what I think you're referring to or what I'm grabbing out of out of that is has a lot to do with culture and culture transformation, right? Because as we well know, well, culture eats strategy for breakfast, uh, to put it, uh, you know, simply, but it's true. And when we think about healthcare as an ecosystem, it's super complex because we have many stakeholders from payers, providers, pharma, um, you mentioned customers, which I love, you know, not patients, but really customers, the consumers, the end user of the, the, the ecosystem. And the incentives are not necessarily aligned, right? We talked about companies and their profitability versus bringing drugs to market, etc. So given that dynamic and knowing that we have to make some level of you know major cultural transformation and not to get to the organizational type of aspects of it, but really building human-centered cultures so that you can bring to life human-centered, not just design, but products, services, ecosystems. Where do we start? Who owns it? And how can we bring some level of collaboration and camaraderie, the likes of which we saw during the pandemic? Yeah, you ask a good question, like wh- whose job is it? It's, it's all of our jobs, whether we're in marketing, innovation, technology, design, product, it doesn't matter. The, the more exposure we have to the people we serve, their lives, their opinions, the more we invite them to the table of innovation, the more that we design with them, not for them, the more we, we can't kind of look away. I'm all for data-driven decisions. And when you're doing things at scale, you need to look at the data and analytics, but the stories and the human beings can impact our understanding of the situation, our knowing, our motivation, and our aspiration, right? So we need to not have tunnel vision, only talking to people inside the organization, only meeting with them, only looking at spreadsheets and PowerPoints. We need to increase the amount of time that we're working with people outside of the organization. Literally increase the exposures, the quantity of times that people are seeing human voices, 
and faces and stories, the, the amount of minutes, right? Just increase those exposures. The more they increase, the more the, the culture changes. That is absolutely one of my goals is to do that. That's fabulous. And I think underlining kind of what you mentioned in terms of the time spent is creating that kind of empathy, mutual empathy about your constituents and how your work is impacting having downstream impact. And so you don't go with move fast and break things, the the Silicon Valley kind of mantra. And you really think about the lives that are being touched and changed and the risks associated with every decision, which I think is very, very important. Well, I know we covered a lot. I can't let you go without asking the following question. What should we expect in the next you know year or so within healthcare, given all the innovation and investments that's still happening despite the little bit of a slowdown in VC investment, but still very, very robust. What are your expectations? What are some of the big things that we might be seeing in the next 12 months? I think more connectivity with the boom in telemedicine and virtual health. We're seeing a kind of different level of human connectivity. There's there's an immediacy to it at some points. I think we're going to get a whole lot better at connecting the dots and bringing people to the the resources, the information, and the other humans they need. Um, you know when they need it. That's my hope. But I'm also you know starting to see that as well, and I hope that that continues. Well, that would be fabulous. So being able to essentially have interventions or meeting the customer, the patient, the physician, where they are, what they need at that moment through the channel of their choice can actually come to fruition at massive scale, which is super, super exciting. I mean, this is fabulous. I'm sure our audience is eager to find you and continue the conversation. How do people reach out to you? Yeah, I love I love to talk with people every conversation. I learn something. I have the heart of a researcher. And so I really enjoy that. I can be found on, on LinkedIn. And um, it was so, so good talking with you, Shiva. Thank you so much for having me. Amy, what a pleasure. I am so honestly honored. I've been looking forward to this conversation. You are uh, a wealth of knowledge and very, very generous in terms of giving us a little bit of your time. We are thrilled to have you. Happy holidays to you. And uh, we hope to see a lot of great things in your current role and beyond. Thank you. And thank you everyone for spending time with us. We wish you a wonderful rest of the day. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.